Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 7, Chapter 1. We have skipped a few years, I believe, uh, and now there's a new Buttonbrook. And, question, did other translations switch to present tense this chapter? I thought it was a weird choice, the old tense narrative perspective switch. Techrifix's footnote about the low Porter translation and mentioned in today's podcast, I think she made a decision to make the insult a little less heinous in English. The decision to use herring is a clever one, actually. It points to the gulf between husband and wife. She's from the north and the Baltic Sea, where the herring is consumed nowadays mostly for Easter and Christmas, and he's from Bavaria, famous for his sausages and boar meat and venison. So I think Lo Porter just took a decision to tone it down a bit, by inventing a new insult that implies a bloody northerner, a herring eater. That's my two cents, I could be wrong. Well, there you go. Acoustic Eels also thought that uh, the herring was a reference to her northern German origins. I remember when she first moved, she had to teach the cook how to cook fish because she did not like any of their sauces. Permanida probably just wanted to get one extra dig in on Tony any way he could. Techrific also says this, The use of present tense in this chapter is a nice way to ground the reader in the moment. A new Johan is about to be christened, and it's a happy occasion for the Buddenbrooks. I thought it was telling that Tony seemed to be aware that things have not been going so great, but that now with the birth of a male they have a future and is secure. Or is it? Starfall 15 says, These aristocratic families that gamble everything on one male heir, similar to all the monarchies that had an heir with mental challenges and ended up being the monarch despite his shortcomings, with Christian showing up again, I hope the new Buddenbrook won't be like his uncle or like the profligate Kroger one, looks likely since the ever-touted decline should be near. I'm at a loss with the Krogers. Is it the grandfather who died in 1848? The bare description has to be from real life. Either man's family or an antiquated acquaintance sorry, had a similar bear. I'm all for leitmotifs, but keep bringing Clothilde and Hunger together. It's getting tiresome. At least develop her story. Yeah, they really do just every time mention how she's always hungry and something about food. It is getting a bit overused. Swims to the Mama Fishy says, I found the switch to present tense jarring, but it woke me up from a somewhat somnolent state. Very effective writing. It's rather jarring, but yeah, you're right. It did at least grab my attention. Now, one question that I asked that didn't get answered was, how much time has passed? Does it tell us? I don't think it does tell us, but I think it looks like it's about 10 years or more. Hopefully we find out. We might find out in this chapter. Just waiting for them to drop the year. Every now and then they mention what year it is. Chapter 2 goes like this. Christian Buddenbrook, proprietor of the firm HCF Permeister and Company of Hamburg, came into his brother's living room holding in his hand his modish grey hat and his walking stick with a nun's bust. Tom and Gerda sat reading together. It was half past nine on the evening of the christening day. Good evening said Christian. Oh, Thomas, I must speak with you at once. Please excuse me, Gerda. It is urgent, Thomas. They went into the dark dining room where the console lighted a gas jet on the wall and looked at his brother. He expected nothing good. 
Except for the first greeting, he had no, had no opportunity to speak with Christian, but he had looked at him during the service and noted that he seemed unusually serious and even more restless than common. In the course of Pastor Pringham's discourse, he had left the room for several minutes. Thomas had not written him since the day in Hamburg when he had paid over into his brother's hands an advance of 10,000 marks current on his inheritance to settle his indebtedness. Just go on as you are going, he had said, and you'll soon run through all your money. As far as I'm concerned, I hope you will cross my path very little in the future. You've put my friendship to too hard a test in these three years. Why was he here now? Something must be driving him. Well, asked the consul. I'm done, Christian said. He let himself down sidewise on one of the high-backed chairs around the dining table and held his hat and stick between his thin knees. May I ask what it is you are done with and what brings you to me, said the consul. He remained standing. I'm done, repeated Christian, shaking his head from side to side with frightful earnestness and letting his little round eyes stray restlessly back and forth. He was now thirty-three years old, but he looked much older. His reddish-blonde hair was grown so thin that nearly all the cranium was bare. His cheeks were sunken, the cheekbones protruded sharply, and between them, naked, fleshless, and gaunt, stood the huge hooked nose. If it were only this, he went on, and ran his hand down the hole of his left side very close, but not touching it, it isn't a pain, you know, it's a misery, a continuous indefinite ache. Dr. Drogelmuller in Hamburg tells me that my nerves are on this side, they're all too short. Imagine on my whole left side my nerves aren't long enough. Sometimes I think I shall surely have a stroke here, or on this side a permanent paralysis. You've got no idea. I never go to sleep properly, my heart does beat, doesn't beat, sorry, and I start up suddenly in a perfect, perfectly terrible fright. That happens not once, but ten times before I get to sleep. I don't know if you know what it is. I'll tell you about it more precisely. It is. Not now, the consul said coldly. Am I to understand that you have come here to tell me this? I suppose not. No, Thomas. If it were only that, but it is not that alone. It is the business. I can't go on with it. Your affairs are in confusion again. The consul did not start. He did not raise his voice. He asked the question quite calmly and looked sidewise at his brother, with a cold, weary glance. No, Thomas, for, to tell you the truth, it is all the same now. I never really was in order, even with the ten thousand, as you know yourself. They only saved me from putting up the shutters at once. The thing is, I had more losses at once in coffee, and with the failure in Antwerp. That's the truth. So then I didn't do any more business. I just sat still. But one has to live, so now there are notes and other debts, five thousand Taylor, and don't know the whole I, you don't know the whole I'm in, and on top of everything else, this agony. Oh, so you just sat still, didn't you? cried the consul beside himself. His control was gone now. You let the wagon stick in the mud and went off to enjoy yourself. You think I don't know the kind of life you've been living, theatres and circuses and clubs and women? You mean... Aileen, yes, Thomas, you have very little understanding for that sort of thing, and it's my misfortune, perhaps, that I have so much. You are right when you say it has cost me too much, and it will cost me a goodish bit more, for I'll tell you something, just here between two brothers, the third child, the little girl, six months old, she is my child. You fool, you. Don't say that, Thomas. 
You should you should be just even if you are angry to her and to why shouldn't it be, my child? And as for Aileen, she isn't in the least worthless, and you ought not to say she is. She is not at all promiscuous. She broke with Consul Holm on my account, and he has much more money than I have. That's how decent she is. No, Thomas, you simply can't understand what a splendid creature she is, and healthy she is healthy. As re he repeated the word, and held up one hand before his face with the fingers crooked, in the same gesture as when he used to tell about Maria and the depravity of London. You should see her teeth when she laughs. I've found, never found any other teeth to compare with them. Not in Valparaiso or London or anywhere else in the world. I'll never forget the evening I first met her in the oyster room at Ulkliches. She was living with Consul Holm then, while well, I told her a story or so and was a bit friendly, and when I went home with her afterwards, well, Thomas, that's a different sort of feeling from the one you have when you go to a good stroke of business. But you don't like to hear about such things, I can see that already, and anyhow, it's over with. I'm saying goodbye to her, though I shall keep in touch with her on account of the child. I'll pay up everything I owe in Hamburg and shut up shop. I can't go on. I've talked with Mother, and she is willing to give me the 5,000 Thaler to start with, so I can put things in order, and I hope you will agree to it, for it is much better to say quite simply that Christian Buddenbrook is winding up his business and going abroad than for me to make a failure. You think so too, don't you? I intend to go to London again, Thomas, and take a position. It isn't good for me to be independent. I can see that more and more. The responsibility, whereas in a situation one just goes home quite carefree at the end of the day, I liked living in London. Do you object? During this exposition, the consul had turned his back on his brother and stood with his hands in his pockets, describing figures on the floor with his foot. Very good, go to London, he said. Shortly, and without turning more than half toward his brother, he passed into the living room. But Christian followed him. He went up to Gerda, who sat there alone, reading, and put out his hand. Good night, Gerda. Well, Gerda, I'm off for London. Yes, it's remarkable how one gets tossed about hither and yon. Now, it's again into the unknown, into a great city, you know, where one meets an adventure at every third step and sees so much of life. Strange, do you know the feeling? One gets it here, sort of, in the pit of the stomach. It's very odd. Alright, that's that chapter. Christian, off on another adventure to London. I kind of wish we could go with him as a reader, but I don't feel like we will. Alright, folks, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.